My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I am so glad that you're here. I want to tell you a little bit about a journey that God had me on many years ago when I first became a follower of Jesus Christ as a high school student for those first years, turning 18. You know, at that age, you're trying to figure out your life, where you're going, what you're doing. And the deepest desire of my heart was to know God. I wanted to get the questions answered, like, God, who do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? What's the calling for my life, right? I discovered God, and I wanted to walk that path. And so one of the guys in my life challenged me to read the Bible. Now, I hadn't started reading through the Bible yet at this point. That would have been a pretty daunting task. But he said, you know, if you really want to get the heart of God, read the Psalms and Proverbs every month. You can read five Psalms a day when that gets you through the whole month, 150 Psalms, and then five Proverbs a day. And whatever day it is, you just read it that way. So today's the 31st, and you just read Proverbs 31, and you you go on. There's a great little path. You can find that. It's great. If you don't even read the Bible yet, that would be a great way to start. Five Psalms and one Proverb a day. Now, the reason the Psalms are, are so critical to our faith is that they speak the language of the heart. The Psalms are all about the emotions, and they're so good because the writers talk about the joy of knowing God and walking with God and being with God, and then the deep disappointments when God seems to be silent, when God doesn't show up. It talks about the joys of family and faith and pursuing this life, and then the disappointment of enemies coming and attacking you. And so it's just highs and lows. That's really our our life, right? And it reaches the heart. The Proverbs, though, they're all about the mind as, as far as the wisdom and understanding what God wants us to do and having a clear path to walk. Well, as I was doing this journey early on, uh, I, I kept coming back to the second of every month, Psalm uh, Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2 has some great words of wisdom, and it began to resonate in my heart. I want to read it to you, the first 11 verses. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. And then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. That's what I was looking for. I wanted to know the knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, 
just and fair, and you will find the right way to go. That was me. I wanted to know the right way to go in any situation. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. That was me. That was where I was at. I mean, I'm I'm still there, but in this young faith I had, I was so passionate about this. God, I want to be on the path that you have set out before me. Help me discover it. And you remember those days. Maybe some of you are there, or maybe because of circumstances of life, you're back to that point. You're like, God, I need to know where to go. I need the path. I need the directions. Show me the sign, right? I need to know that. Well, the Bible tells us that God's wisdom will fill us, but we've got to want it. We've got to have a passionate pursuit of it. And over any other pursuit, whether it's, you know, wealth or pleasure or whatever we might desire in life, those things are not bad by any means, but they should pale in comparison to wanting to know God personally, intimately, in a friendship, in a reverent way. For, for example, he says to fear the God, fear God, that means to bow before him and know he is holy God, creator God. And so in my heart, I was wanting this and desiring this and pursuing this. Well, what I discovered as I continued reading Psalms and Proverbs every month, and then got into reading the Bible through every year, was that God has this master plan with the scriptures, with the word of God. And what he has done is beautiful, is he has, through the long telling of stories, shown us this whole narrative version of a relationship with him. Some of the characters in the Bible had some great experiences. Some had horrible experiences. Some had great highs. Some had great lows. Some had all of that combined. But along the journey, we discover the way that God wants us to walk. Now, often we do that because God lays out some commands. I want to show you five words of wisdom that'll help you on this. It's, it's something I picked up when I was a youth pastor. I did for, for many, many, many years. I do with my own children, my wife and I do. But the fact is, is it's really helpful to think about it this way. And because I'm a pastor, they all have to start with the, the same letter. It's alliterated. It starts with P, easy to memorize, okay? First one is the word precept. Precept is, is a, another way to say command. But I can't say command because it starts with C and it won't work. So precept, okay? All right, there we go. Quit bugging me. It's going to work You're going to love it. Precept. What's a precept? Well, there are precepts in the Bible. For example, uh, precepts about uh, truthfulness. Uh, You will see scriptures that say, uh, don't lie. Or uh, to have, you know, a, a heart of integrity. Or to not defraud or be a false witness to your neighbor, right? Or not to let vile words come out of our mouth against someone. Now, those are strict commands. They're they're the do or the don't kind of commands, right? To let all our words be wholesome. To allow our words to edify people. So God gives us commands when it comes to our words, our truth, things like that. Well, he also gives us commands. Let's pick an area like sexuality. It's big in our culture. God says, don't be sexually immoral. God says to uh, be sexually pure. God talks about what that means in relationship to being single, to being married. God has these things that he's commanded. And so as God commands those, he's given us to those. Now, now you and I know that we often push back on those. We go, okay, God, why? Right? We're like a two-year-old. Anybody, you've had a two-year-old, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, why? 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 And there's a whole lot more whys, okay? And, and you know, it's like, why, why did you do that, God? Is it because you want to limit my freedom? Is it kind of when you kill all my fun? Is that really what you're all about? Do you want to make me squirm? Do you want to make me such, you know, just a person that says no to everything? 
Some people, if, if they were to think about the Bible and they were to sum up the, with the Bible, they could put the summation of the Bible on a post-it note with two letters, N-O, right? He says, that's all God says is no. You know, or if you're King James, thou shalt not, okay? That takes a little bit bigger post-it note, okay? But that's not why God does that. He gives us positive and negative commands. As you see these precepts embedded throughout the scripture, the narrative story of God and his people, you discover that there are principles underneath the surface of those. So I'm a visual person. I like to think about it this way. The precepts of the flowers or the trees or the bushes that are above ground and the principles of the root system that grow underground that connect all these together. So for example, when God gives commands, precepts about truthfulness, it's because there's a principle of truth that God weaves through the Bible. When God gives precepts or commands about sexual purity, the reason he does that and scatters those around the Bible is because there are principles of purity in the Bible. But again, why? Now, if, if, you, if you're, you know, any normal mom or dad or grandma, grandpa, or aunt or uncle, you know that you get tired of that question. And there have been times you and I have all just said, because I said so, Right? You've done that. Raise your hands if you've ever done that. Okay, that's, that's bad, okay? Because we're frustrated. Just, just do it because I said so, right? That's not a very good answer, to be fair. It's not. It's a frustrated answer, but it's not good. Because that doesn't explain the why behind the why. And I think it's even worse when we as followers of God are asked the question, well, why does God say be sexually pure? Because God says so. That's not a good answer. In fact, it's a really bad answer. Because there's a great answer. And the great answer, the true answer is, not that he gives us just a precept to frustrate us, or he's a principle in there that violates, you know, what is freedom for us. He does it because the person of God is in line with that principle, or that principle is in line with the person of God. So why does God say be truthful in our conversation? Because God is a true God. Why does God say pure, be pure in our sexual relationships? Because God is pure in all of his relationships. You can go through the whole Bible and discover this. Because, think of it, my friends, God is a heavenly father, and he invites us as his sons and daughters to become like him. He doesn't give the precepts to create a list of rules and regulations and become religious people. No, God forbid. We don't want to do that at all. You can do all that stuff and still miss the heart of God. The heart of God is to become like him. Well, becoming like him then means that we do have some do's and don'ts. We have some house rules. Every home has rules, right? These are God's. But he has them for the reason that we would reflect more and more his heart and his character. Now, here's the cool thing about God, too, is that when we line ourselves up with God's heart, we discover that God has done some really cool things for us. One, he's protected us. God gives us these commands these principles, we become like him for our own protection. I mean, just think about that in the area of truthfulness. If we become a, a deceptive person, we're always lying. We can't have good friendships that way. You know, you're always looking over your shoulder to see who saw you or deleting your browser history to make sure that nobody catches you, right? God protects us when we do what he says to do. He, he protects us with good friendships and good truthful relationships. Sexually, let's talk about that sexual purity. When God says, these are my commands, my precepts, and here are the principles in scripture, because this is who he is. When we walk that way, God protects us from division and brokenness in our heart and abuse in relationships and all kinds of pain and disease and distrust, right? In a string of broken hearted lives. Well, not only does he protect us, he provides for us. When we walk with integrity amongst people, we can walk in freedom 
because he provides a path for us. He provides beautiful relationships and community. When it comes to sexuality, he provides us with pleasure. He provides us with this realm of relationship that brings honor to him and ultimately is the most satisfying sexual life possible. Now, that is the way of wisdom. And you and I are called to walk in that way. And when we want it most of all, God shows up and delivers so clearly in his word, in the community of God, in his spirit that dwells inside of us. Now, I think the problem, though, and this is my challenge, is, is, is this what I really want, right? I mean, think about this yourself. What do you want in life? Really? I mean, what do you really want? The things that we want in life are more of, more pleasures or more pursuits, more money, more possessions, uh, you know, more opportunities, more achievements, uh, more status or whatever, more popularity. We want those things, and there's nothing wrong with those wants, but are they the highest wants, or are those wants submitted to this greater want, which is to become like God, to know him, to walk according to his ways, to understand these things? For you and for me, I think we settle for a lesser want. In fact, C.S. Lewis did a great job spelling this out in The Weight of Glory in his essay when he says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too far easily pleased. Think about that for you. Think about that for me. That if we have these desires and they become the highest desires for us and they're anything but knowing God and drawing close to him, then those are going to one day be frustrating to us because they will not ultimately satisfy us. But when our deepest desire, our greatest, our highest desire is is just to be like him, to know him, to have intimacy with him, then all these other passions and pursuits line up in a correct way so that then they bring honor to God and then in the right way they satisfy us and they bring honor to our own lives. Now we are in this journey of wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes. And the writer of those words of Proverbs 2 was Solomon, the guy that wrote Ecclesiastes. He wrote a couple books, that in Song of Solomon. And so we find a lot of wisdom here. And we've been walking a journey of discovering what is life like under the sun. That's his little phrase there to, to basically talk about the world in which we live in. Our birth, our death, our existence, the relationships we have. Life under the sun. Sometimes life under the sun is very difficult. Sometimes it's very beautiful. Uh, But it's the reality is we need God's wisdom for us. But what happens when we pursue God's wisdom and we run down the whole course of that and we're still frustrated? Solomon is going to dig into that. He talked about it a little last week. Pastor Shane did a great job sharing. This week we're going to talk about it. Next week we're going to talk about it because sometimes even wisdom doesn't work because we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We live in a world of sin We live in a world of disappointment and heartache because it's not the way God planned it and designed it. He created this perfect place. We blew it up with our sinfulness. And even today, we still do that. And so even on the best of days, we fall short of it working out. So what do you do when even the deepest desire of wisdom just is frustrating? How many of you have ever been disappointed with God? Raise your hand. 
Just be, be, be honest, okay? I don't want to be disappointed in you for lying, okay? How many of you have ever been frustrated with God? Come on, yeah. It's like, God, come on, show up, right? Sometimes we're like Job. It's like we do everything right and it just, world crashes. It's like, come on, God. Yeah, okay, this is a good passage for you. If you've got a really cool life and everything's working out for you, just, you know, just hang on. We'll get to you in a couple weeks because we're talking about lying. <laughs> All right. Just teasing you. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting in verse 1. I love this. It says, how wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. That's kind of cool. How, how wonderful to be wise. I don't, it doesn't sound arrogant. It just sounds kind of cool. How wonderful to be wise. It's great to have a brain, right? And scarecrow, if I only had one, okay? Okay, to analyze and interpret things. This is cool, though. Look at this. Wisdom lights up a person's face, softening its harshness. This is a verse that I think about when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror. Because I get more and more wrinkles as time goes on. I need more wisdom to soften my face, right? It's like a Photoshop filter. It just kind of glows, right? Now, I'm I'm not teasing on this one. Because the Bible declares that what's inside our heart will show up on our face. That the countenance of our life will be different. The character that comes out of us will be changed when we walk close to God. When we intimately desire a relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit and walk accordingly, people will notice that. I was up in Anchorage a couple months ago, and I was up talking to pastors, and I was preaching one morning in church, and the worship team had practiced, and they were hanging out. And I saw this one guy, and he kind of looked like a Portlander. And so I went up and talked to him, and he's a bass player, and we're, we're hanging out. And he goes, yeah, I used to live in Portland. I go, oh, of course you did. Look at your beard. You know, and... and you know, and you've got pegs and you've got tats and you've, you've got all that stuff. Great. You can't even make it through a metal detector without getting beeped, right? Awesome. How you doing? What's going on? Well, he told me about his life and he said, you know, I was an alcoholic and I was raging and life was falling apart. And I came to faith in Jesus Christ just before I moved to Anchorage or up to the Alaska, went up to this peninsula area there, spent the last couple of years. And he, he, you know, now he's in this church playing bass and just loving it. He said, the funny thing happened is I went back recently to Portland to hang out with my old friends. And I, I was kind of nervous. I didn't know how to tell him I'd become a Christian. And, and so he goes, we went out to dinner the first night and we're hanging out there, all our old friends. And uh, I only had half a beer and they're looking at me like, is this like just getting started? He's like, no, I'm done. And, and one of the gals, he said, looked at me and said, so when did you become a Christian? And he's like, he just, you know, stalled out there. It's like, what do you mean? She goes, well, it, you're different. When, when did you become a Christian? And not because the amount of beer he was or wasn't drinking, but something was different on his face. I think about people at sunrise. I was thinking about this last night, calling out people in the service, but, but um, I'm just going to pick on one guy, Greg. A year ago, he'd gone through our shelter homeless and, and destitute and he came to faith in Jesus Christ because of our homeless shelter and he began serving and he began cleaning and sweeping and mopping and that's a, for me that's a really a true test of a servant when you're not afraid to clean the toilets right I grew up doing that you know that's it so you serve and you serve and you get on your hands and knees you do the dirty work and so we said hey Greg why don't you come on staff as our custodian he goes well I'll come on staff but you can't pay me I'm like yeah I need more people like that that's cool right no 
And like, come on. No, he goes, no, no. So he served for months and months and months. And his life was being changed. He was hanging out. He was meeting in our staff meetings. We were praying for him. And along the journey, his change was evident and obvious. And then finally, we did hire him as a part-time custodian. Uh, he hangs out with Josh uh, Bybee. They, they listen to the Bible and they, they serve and then they're taking it in. And man, I look at guys and gals like that and their countenance is different. In fact, I read an article. It's an older article. I reread it this week. It's from the London Times in 2008. An atheist, an atheist wrote this. He's from Malawi in Africa. And he he talked about what happened when the Christians came into his country. And how even though he's an atheist and denies the fact that there is a God, he pushes that all aside, doesn't want anything to do with that. He loves Christianity, which is kind of cool, kind of weird if you ask me, right? And so his article is called Why Africa Needs God. And he made it clear that they don't need God as much as, you know, an idea, but as a reality, which is really cool. He says, not only did they do good work, the Christians, but they actually changed lives. Here's the quote. He says, the Christians were different. Their faith appeared to have liberated and relaxed them. There was liveliness, a curiosity, an engagement with the world. Whenever we entered a territory worked by missionaries, we had to acknowledge that something changed in the faces of the people we passed and spoke to, something in their eyes. Wouldn't that be cool if somebody talked to you tomorrow and said, hey, school's back on, sorry to let you know, you're going back to work after spring break, whatever, you're doing your pursuit, you show up at the gym, or you, you know, you're mowing your lawn finally you know, after the winter, and somebody looks at you and goes, hey, what's up with you? Like, what do you mean? Well, you look different. You look different. Here's a question, and I don't mean this to be simplistic or crass in any way. Has Jesus shown up on your face? Really? Has Jesus shown up? Is there a joy in your heart that works its way out? If not, I'd look in the mirror and ask what's going wrong. Because God should show up. Wisdom will show up on your face and will soften it and will create a glow. That's what Solomon says. And if it's not showing up that way, maybe you don't have Jesus. You just have religion and you have rules. And that will really add wrinkles, trust me. And pain to your back, because that's a whole lot to carry. Solomon goes on. I'm going to jump down to verse 9. He says, I have thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun. That's that code for life on earth, where people have the power to hurt each other. I have seen wicked people buried with honor, yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. This, too, is meaningless. When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it is safe to do wrong. But even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. One of the most frustrating things in life, at least for me, is when life just doesn't make sense. When justice does not prevail. How many of you are black and white, right and wrong, just people? Anybody like that? I'm like that in my heart. It's like, this is right. This is wrong. Wrong needs to be punished. I mean, with other people, not me. Um, Because there was a reason why I did what I did. And if you understood my reason, you'd be fine too. But I want it right and wrong, right? So um, I remember this as a kid. I was watching, uh, I liked Alfred Hitchcock. 
uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents little short stories, and, and so there's one called the, the Crooked Road, and he writes, uh, or the story goes on in this video, is that this um, husband and wife, this couple, are journeying down in the south, in the United States there, and as they go into the town, this police officer screams by, runs them off the road, hits their car, the, the tire is damaged, out of nowhere, a tow truck comes, begins to work on the car without the pe- people's permission, tows the car away, causes, causes an exorbitant you know, amount of money on this. The police officer gets involved, arrests them for pushing back on this. They end up before the judge, the magistrate there, and they plead their case. The judge will have nothing, fines them tremendously. Finally, they get kicked out of town with all these fines they had to pay. And as they're going out of town, I'm thinking to myself, I am stinking mad here. My blood is boiling. This is not right. How, I'm just a kid. How dare people in power use that power to abuse other people, right? Because that's the justice part of me, right? How dare people use their position to lord it over and rule over others and to take advantage of people? We're supposed to be servants. We're supposed to be under people helping them, not be at the top of a pyramid, right? And so I'm, you know, I'm just about ready to kick the TV in, right? Which would not be a very just thing in my household. But here I am thinking about this and all of a sudden the video ends. And if you've seen it, it's classic. Alfred Hitchcock, as the husband and wife pull out of the town, Having been treated so unfairly, so unjustly, the wife who turns out not to be the wife pulls out of her purse a tape recorder that says the um, State Highway Commission Special Investigation Committee, and they've got it all on tape. Yes, justice is served. They're going to jail. Ah, I feel good now, right? That's, that's actually some wickedness in my heart coming out, but that's okay. And uh, it's like, you know, it's like that. Wouldn't that be great if every time somebody lied about you, there was a tape recorder getting it down? Yes, I've got their words. Wouldn't it be great if every bad thing those people did was recorded for all to see? Wouldn't it be cool if you brought that person to church that week and all their sins were up on the screen, right? Yes. No, because eventually it'd become our turn. And we'd be sick that day. <clears throat> you know that in, in a very metaphorical way, the Bible does say that everything is recorded. That God knows everything. That God knows the good and the bad in our heart, our lips, our minds, our souls. And we cannot get away from that. That though we try to run, and then we try to hide, and we try to make up for things, cover over things, the reality is we're all guilty that every one of us, we've sinned. We've blown it. We've fallen short of God's perfect standard. We've violated the relationship with God. We've violated the relationship with each other. And that all sin has to be accounted for, has to be paid for. That's justice. And I don't want that kind of justice, right? <laughs> I, I want freedom. Well, then the cool thing is, and the amazing thing is, is that God, in his love, in his justice, sent his son Jesus to come down, to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death on the cross, to take the sacrifice of all of that sin of yours and mine upon himself on the cross, bearing the weight of that on his body, blood poured out, dying for you and for me, so that we don't have to pay that price and penalty for all eternity. And that by coming to God in faith, by believing that Jesus did that, by receiving him as our Lord and Savior, that then all of that is applied to our account. And we are now free 
from our sins and our slate is wiped clean as fresh as the new fallen snow, the Bible says. And we can have that. We can all have that. We don't all have that though because we have to take that step of believing, of confessing him as Lord and Savior. And man, if you have not done that, my friends, I do not know why you haven't done it because it will change not just your eternity, it'll change your today because Jesus will give you the best life possible, abundant life, he says. Otherwise, true justice will prevail. And one day the Bible says, those who've rejected Christ will stand in judgment at a, a judgment with a penalty that lasts forever of everlasting death away from God. And I don't know why we wouldn't take that offer of freedom in Christ. And if you're here and God is nudging on your heart, do it today. Believe that Jesus Christ did what he did on the cross. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. And the Bible says you will be saved. All that will be applied on Jesus' account. And he's got a big account. And he's willing to add more people to it. Well, as we go back into the text, he says this in verse 14. And this is not all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked. And wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so meaningless. Again, he's just reminding us that sometimes life isn't fair. And when it's not fair, and when you can't control it, there are some things you can control. You can control your heart and your prayers. And when you're doing justice and when you're loving mercy and when you're walking humbly before God and it still doesn't work, you still have control of your attitude and your heart. God has not abandoned you. You're just walking a very painful time. He says, so I recommend having fun. Thanks, the sun just started shining. So I recommend having fun. That's a good verse. Maybe that's your spring break verse. You missed out. So I recommend having fun because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. What he's saying is not to be out of control. He's just saying realize that God gives you life. He got, if, if God gives you food and drink and enjoy it, he says here, that way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. In other words, God wants to bless you. He wants to give you joy. And when he's given you maybe a little, maybe a lot, man, just enjoy that. Enjoy it by faith. Enjoy it with your family and friends. Pull people into the circle of that so that they can celebrate with you. You do hard work, great. Do your hard work, but also know how to work hard at playing, all right? He says, in my search For wisdom, and in my observation of people's burdens here on earth, I discovered that there is ceaseless activity day and night. I realized that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. Now, Solomon is just reminding us, and we're going to pick up on it next week, is that sometimes life does not make sense. But when life does not make sense, make sense of what you know to be true. When life seems out of control, you can control certain things in your life, and that's what's going on inside of you. Your heart, your thought, your minds, your words, things like that. You can control that. I can control that. And in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of pain, we can walk a path pursuing God even if it's not making sense right now. Don't abandon God on this pursuit. When you feel like God has abandoned you because he hasn't, he's actually walking right beside you. Pastor Taylor is going to come up and we're going to just have a great conversation about some of the things that God's been doing in his world, in his life. 
And along the way, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're also challenged. Because here's one of our pastors, probably the best-looking pastor we've got. Is that how you wanted me to say that? Yeah. Um, I don't know if it means much, but... (laughs) Your wife told me to say that last night. No. Um, Along the journey has run into a roadblock of, well, I'm doing all that, but it's not showing up. So, Taylor, give us a little word. Um, Yeah. So, this last year, I've been uh, um, going through a season um, since about the new year of last year, actually. And... You know, I started having some symptoms come on and some things I was experiencing. And when you're kind of in the, um, when you're in this Christian world, we always talk about spiritual attacks. And so in some of my mind, I was just like chalking it up to some of the things I was experiencing and thinking to that, um, which was true, but that wasn't all of it. And so some of the symptoms that were kind of going on in my life and what I was experiencing, um, one of the things would happen is I... I, I couldn't drive anymore. I, I lost my ability to drive um, rationally, and I wasn't speeding. I just couldn't drive. <laughs> and the simple fact is I would drive down the road, and I'd have this irrational fear that I hit someone or that I'd hit a car, and I just, you know, and then I was just going to keep driving. And, and it was, like, it was irrational, and it was kind of weird, and eventually it became me starting to, like, I'm checking everything as I'm, like, driving down the road. And then it became more. It started to get to the point over the summer where I'd be, I'd be turning around. I'd go, I'd be driving to work, and you'd see me, if you saw a green Corolla 96, you'd see it going back and forth like this down the road, like, because I'd have to go back and check on the corner of Baseline in Brookwood that I didn't hit anyone, even though it's rational. There's nothing there. I know it, but my mind could not get past that. Um, It started showing up in other areas. When I'd leave my house in the morning um, to come to work, I would have to start my master bathroom and literally be checking faucets, outlets, light switches, everything, making sure the heater, you know, my got a propane fireplace i've got an oven and i just stare at them and it's like i know it's off but my brain can't deal with what it sees right there even though it's true i just don't believe it and then i'd have a and unlike me totally but i'm a people person and i'd start having this fear of being around people and i just like i hated crowds like i just don't like being in them and being being close to people it just was not my thing which was so weird for me. My wife and I traveled Europe last year for three weeks, and that's when I really saw it come on. I was like, you know, try being in Europe and tourist destinations, and I'm just dodging people. Like, my brain's going 100 miles an hour, trying to, you know, just keep my hands in my pockets and keep moving. Um, but I didn't know what was going on, and it was weird, and it was, it was debilitating. I mean, I got to the point I stopped driving in the fall, this past fall, and uh, I just, I was, I was looking for answers. I really was. I started eventually opening up to my wife, which was hard enough because it's, you got all these things going on. You're like, how do I, how do I put this into words? How do I say what I'm thinking? There's some, you know, I'm stuck thinking some just terrible things and I hate it. And this isn't me, but I eventually opened up to her. And she's like, you need to get some help. And I'm like, I know. Um, but what I did is I was so busy through the summer. I just kept stuffing it down and keep moving forward. I like, I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it later. Um, and then eventually I come in for a staff meeting in the fall. And when I came into that meeting, I, uh, I was late to work <laughs> because I turned around and went and checked. Nothing happened. <laughs> and so I come back to work. We can laugh. It's funny. All right. <laughs> so, and so I come into work and I you know, feel all the shame and guilt and just all that because I'm late to work just a few minutes and stuff. And I finally go, okay. God, I am going to, if you give me an opportunity, I'm going to share with the staff what's going on. And so I, uh, 
I, I wait for our first meeting at 9.30. No, didn't, there was no opportunity. We kept talking about stuff. And so then finally we go into a staff training next, and it happened to be on mental health. And that's when I was like, okay, <laughs> what's going on here? And so Pastor Kevin goes, hey, is there anyone who wants to share? And there's just different people from our staff sharing about different things. And, you know, one of the tough things I was really wrestling with is, you know, I look at my symptoms. I look at some of the stuff I was experiencing. I'm like, it's not that bad. I really didn't want to share because, honestly, a pride was a lot of it. But I was like, I don't want to overshadow what some people are experiencing. I mean, yeah, mine's debilitating. I can't do some things. But, man, there's people that are really wrestling with some worse mental illness than me, I think, that, I mean, and, and I just I was telling myself that excuse, but eventually Kevin goes, is there anyone else? And I share, and I just break down, and the whole group comes around me, and they just pray with me and cry with me, and uh, man, it, it was huge because I wasn't alone anymore, and I'd been doing it for alone for, I mean, almost a year at that point. And to have people that all of a sudden were like, hey, I'll drive you home, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll do this for you. Uh, you know, I, I needed that. I needed a community. I needed leaders to step up at youth group. I mean, I'm a youth pastor. I'm trying to lead and I'm broken and um, it's hard. And so eventually I started seeking help. Uh, you don't know where to go. It's like, great, I have this problem. So I, I started going to the professionals. I, you know, I, went, I started getting a therapist that I met, met with. I started seeing a psychiatrist. I started doing the meds. I started doing all this stuff. Um, but the honest to God truth was, I mean, I'm doing all this to get out of the season. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll take the meds. Sure. Absolutely. I'll, I'll go see the therapist. I'll do it. Sure. Absolutely. Just get me out of the season. Get me out of the season. And, um, the problem was, is that I had to realize that I was too busy, concerned about a destination and God was all about transformation in my life. And, uh, and that's hard, though, because I'm looking for answers. I'm looking for something, you know, to explain what's happening with me. And eventually, you know, the therapist diagnosed me with OCD. They say you have obsessive compulsive disorder. You're obsessively compulsively thinking of thoughts, and you have to do stuff called checking to alleviate that tension that you're feeling, that uncomfortableness in your brain. And so I'm like, okay. I thought OCD was just putting your color, your closet and write color code and putting your, you know, it's folding things nicely. And it's like, I don't have that. No, but you're, you're, I can't drive down the road. And uh, so, you know, I, at that point, my, my mind started to change come this last December. I, uh, I feel like God was just like, he was so, so gracious to me. He started just really working on my soul, really, really doing some digging in me and figuring out who really, who I was and to be accepted by him. And I, uh, as I kind of entered into December, uh, God was like, you know, kind of nudging me like, Taylor, you need to come spend time with me. Like, you, you need to just come spend time with me. And if I'm an achiever, so like naturally, like if I, you know, it's hard to sit like still before God. I'm like, yeah, give me the reading plan. Give me a devotion to do, get, you know, give me something so like I can accomplish it, you know. <laughs> and uh, God's like, no, I just want you to come and be with me. And so starting about the new year, I, I got up about an hour early than usual or so I got up I started getting up at 5 a.m. and I get a cup of coffee and I just started spending time with God and I just I, I just I had nothing on my agenda I just sharing my heart I just talking to him I'm just just letting him know what I'm experiencing and the truth was is it changed everything it started to change everything in my life um, and things didn't necessarily get better things aren't better to this day um, I'm driving again um, so beware uh, <laughs> But uh, 
but I'm still fragile, you know, and if people ask me, how you doing? I say, I'm confident, but I'm fragile, and you know, I'm confident because my trust is no longer in myself. It can't be. I have so much weakness going on in my life right now. Um, you know, I, I'm constantly thinking the Second Corinthians 12 when Paul talks about the thorns in the flesh, and he's like, I prayed three times for you to take it away, and God responds, my grace is sufficient, you know, my strength comes into its own in, in your weakness, and that's kind of just been the verse that I've learned to lean into in this season and go, all right, God, I'm weak, but that's okay because you're strong. And, and it's tough. It's like you, you, you like the verse until you got to live the verse. And, uh, and, and I'm sitting there and I'm embracing the season now. And therefore, since I've embraced it, I've gained confidence. But not in myself, in God. Has the season gone away? No. Um, but is my, is my hope and my confidence there? Yes, because it's in the right place. So, yeah. Wow, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your leadership as your great youth pastor and um, my three boys are in your ministry and they talk about what they're learning and along this, even one of them is reflecting on that passage and the struggle in his own life. So thank you for honesty and transparency. Um, it's a challenge. We have a group that is kicking off this week, a mental health awareness, kind of a wellness group. We'd love for you to come in. Maybe you're in a situation like that. Maybe you've got someone in your family close that's going through that, and you're going to be there on behalf of them. That's wonderful. Uh, you know, we've talked about this. We've addressed this issue. But it's a complicated issue. But what we know is as a family of faith, we deal with complicated things. And we don't strip them down and make them easy. We just say we're going to walk the journey together. Uh, one of the pictures that comes to my mind, and I want to close with this, is um, I've been flying a lot recently. I mean, I'm not flying. I'm sitting in a plane eating pretzels. Somebody else is doing the flying. But, um, you know, I've been flying a lot lately, and I, and I think about that. You know, you, you take a nap or you get up and you open the window up, and all of a sudden you see sky, you see land, you see mountains, you see ocean, whatever. And that's really comforting to see, Right. Even though you're 30-some thousand feet, just seeing something is comfortable. But sometimes you open up the window and there's nothing but fog. There's nothing but clouds. And that can be a little frightening. Imagine being the pilot, right? It'd be one thing to say, hey, I'm, I'm approved and I'm authorized to fly visual. Great. Cool. Sounds good. Now we're in a fog bank. What are you going to do? I don't know. You know, you, you would do whatever feels right. And trust me, trust me, trust me. Pilots are trained. Don't do what feels right because it's probably wrong. Because you're going to run that plane in the ground. You're going to stall it. Something's going to go wrong. Because you think you know what's up and down, left and right. But you can't see it in the fog. So what you got to do is you got to look at the instrument panel. You got to look at the gauges. You got to trust what it says, even though it feels wrong. Because that is what's right. That's true. And you get through it. And I would say this. Some of you are probably in the fog right now. You're in the darkness. You lift up the shade and, and you can't see and it's disorienting. It's confusing. You're not supposed to be here, right? You're, you're supposed to be in the sunny one where you can look and see the mountains or the sky or the beach or the ocean. You're supposed to see that sight, but you can't because it's nothing but clouds around you. In those moments, my friend, like Taylor's saying, you know, I know we want to get through it, but in those moments, look at the gauges, look at the instrument panel, look at the truth of God and God's word and hang on that and we do believe God will get us through it, however long that flight or that season is going to be. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for Jesus because he's the one that gives us our true north. He gives us the destination. He gives us the journey. And we walk through the valley of the shadow of death alongside of him. And he's gone before us and he knows the pain. He knows the suffering. 
He's experienced all of our weaknesses and temptations and trials and troubles, and yet he has not given up on us. And in faith, we put our trust in him. And and your words, for those of us that are struggling with this, maybe some mental struggles, depression, or, or just this darkness in our lives, God, may we trust in what you've said and what you've spoken. And as Taylor said so beautifully, draw close to you in this season. Because it's in this season when we come to know you. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks, Taylor.